All right, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Anthony. I'm an intern here at Potomac Hills Presbyterian Church until about noon today. It's my last day, um, and this is my first time preaching, so let's, uh, let's keep that in mind if I go a little short or... Yeah, so um, I'm just excited to be here today. I was in Sunday school this morning listening to Mark Chris just talking about how we should be joyful when we come to, uh, to, to praise the Lord and to worship him. And so let's be joyful today and let's, uh, yeah, join me as I uh, read the scripture here. We're, today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 through 23. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for giving us your word, that we might learn from it and grow closer to you. You've given us Colossians 1 so we can understand the meaning of Jesus' work of reconciliation. Please grant us the attention to listen to you well this morning and learn what you have to teach us. God, sometimes it's hard for us to hear you. We all come with our own problems. Distraction, tiredness, grief, doubts, and so much else. But we know you want us to hear your word today. And we, we pray that you would focus our hearts and minds on you and your gospel. This morning, you've brought us to a text that speaks volumes about our sin and Christ's work of reconciliation. These lessons are ones we need to hear. So we pray that you would enable us to hear them today. But most of all, Lord, we pray that through reading your word, you would bring us to a place of submission, adoration, and worship. Please speak to us through the word of the Apostle Paul today, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Throughout my teen years, I was always lonely around the Christmas season. You see, I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. But when I was about eight years old, my family moved to western Washington State. When we made that move, obviously a lot of things changed. We were excited for our new West Coast adventure, and we were grateful that the Lord had provided work in a home. But we left our friends and extended family behind and moved to a very different world. Because of this, Christmas was always just myself, my parents, my brothers and sisters, and our dog. Now every year, I'd go to the Christmas Eve service at church, and I'd see my friends with their grandparents but it wasn't the same for me. I longed for the day when I could see my papa and grandma Pam again. There was just one problem. They lived 2,000 miles away, and we just couldn't go visit them. 
So there I was, every Christmas, an alien from my grandparents, living in the strange land of the American West Coast. Now, one particular Christmas morning, my siblings and I were all sitting in our living room, waiting for my parents to come in and start the morning festivities. We always Skyped our grandparents on Christmas morning. Um, Skype was what came before Zoom, for those of you who are too young to know what Skype was. But yeah, we always Skyped our grandparents on Christmas morning because we couldn't be with them in person. But for some reason, the Skype call was starting late this year. Our parents told us that Papa and Pam had gotten lost on their way home that morning. And then they left the room to talk about something. So then my big brother Austin said, hey, what if Papa and Grandma Pam, what if they're coming for Christmas to surprise us? No, Austin, we all said, that's silly. They live 2,000 miles away. Do you know how hard it would be for them to get here? But he insisted that they were coming and he persevered in that belief. But the rest of us, maybe we held on to some kind of hope, but for me at least, it was the kind of tiny hope you hold because you know it will make you feel more justified in your unhappiness when it's shattered to pieces. That is, until the living room doors opened and my grandparents walked straight into the room right into our tiny corner of Washington State, 2,000 miles away from their home. You see, I was right. There was absolutely nothing we could do to get to my grandparents that year. But my brother was even more right. Because even though we couldn't reach them, they came to us. And in a way, the message of that story is similar to the one that the Apostle Paul tells in Colossians 1, 19 through 23. This passage is all about God, how God has covered the unpassable gap between himself and his people. In verse 21, Paul addresses the need for reconciliation due to the alienating effects of sin. But in verse 19, 20, and 22, he reminds the church how God met the need for this reconciliation through the redeeming work of Christ on earth. Finally, in verse 23, Paul answers the age-old question. If all that's true, what are we supposed to do about it? So let's start with the need for reconciliation, seen in verse 21. Verse 21 says that the people of the Colossian church were once alienated in mind. Alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But what does it really mean to be alienated from God? I think we can see an answer to that if we look back to Genesis chapter 3. We all know this story. God had just created Adam and Eve. He put them in a beautiful garden full of wonderful plants and animals and gave them the privilege of living there, eating from the land and tending the orchard in perfect peace. More than that, Genesis 3.18 tells us that the Lord would come to the garden to walk with them. That was the true deep beauty of this garden. It was a place where Adam and Eve could commune with their Lord. It was the place where they could be, where they really belonged, in his presence. But Adam and Eve, they messed up. They did the one thing that God forbade them from doing. They ate the forbidden fruit. And what was the consequence? 
The Lord cast them out of the garden, out of that intimate and close communion with him. They were separated from their creator, displaced from where they truly belong. That's what it means to be alienated from God. It means that because of human sin, the relationship between God and man is broken. It means that those who break the law have been cast out of the garden of his holy presence. That is what Paul is telling the Colossians. And I think that if we think about this, we can see the effects of this alienation all around us. The world is constantly seeking a place to belong, a place where they're no longer alienated. Consider the LGBTQIA community, for instance. Why do they call themselves a community? Why do so many of them say that the reason that they go that route is because they thought that the community was accepting and loving to them? You can think about all sorts of things. A common justification for young people joining gangs is because it's a place where they have a family, a place to belong, a place where they're no longer alienated. But the thing is that we can't fulfill our desire for close relationship in that way. We can't replace God with anything else. And so despite our efforts to make ourselves no longer alienated, there's still a God-shaped hole in our hearts. But Colossians 1.21 says more than just this. You see, it's tempting to think that alienation is a sort of neutral position. Yes, the Colossians were alienated and separated from God, but does that really mean that they were hostile to him? Take my opening story, for example. I was alienated from my grandparents, but it wasn't because of any hostility between us. However, the text doesn't provide any room for this interpretation. The Colossians weren't just alienated from God, they were hostile in mind. What we have to understand is that when Paul refers to the mind, he isn't just talking about the intellectual life. No, the Greek word translated here as mind refers to the entire inner self, including affections, desires, hopes, everything. The inner self is where human actions come from. So when Paul says that the Colossians were hostile in mind, he means more than just that they were spiteful in the ways that they thought about God. He means that they acted in rebellion against God. This is what it means to be a sinner. To take this a little further, consider what Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37 and 38. In this passage, one of the Pharisees asks Jesus, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus' response is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the great and first commandment. In these verses, I think Jesus is really getting at the same thing that Paul is in Colossians 1.21. Obedience to God is something that comes from the heart. Individual instances of sin, like lust, pride, dishonesty, and all others, are in reality deeds done without the love of God. Hostile in mind. Human beings are commanded to love the Lord with all their minds, and yet they sin, living as people who are hostile to him. And here's the thing about alienation from God. There's nothing that sinners can do to undo it. Nobody can pile up their good deeds so high that they climb their way back to fellowship with God. 
When people sin, they're condemned, and there's no parole. Nobody gets off for good behavior. This is true of everyone, not just the Colossians. The Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as seen in Romans 3.23. Our fallen nature then, aside from the grace of God, is alienated and hostile to God, doing evil deeds, just like the Colossians. And we can't do anything to change it. But there's something else that's very important to notice about Colossians 1.21. And that's the verb in this verse. Let me read it again. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, once were. Did you catch that? The people of the church, the Colossian church, once were alienated and hostile in mind. But that's past tense. So what changed? What changed is that they received the gift of reconciliation. Let's look at verses 19 through 22 again. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Truly, sinners are separated and alienated from God. We're cast out of the garden. We lose the fellowship with him that we're designed for. But that's not the end of the story. And Paul reminds the Colossians in verse 21 of who they used to be because that reminder brings weight to who they are now in Christ. Paul's point is that Christ has reconciled his people to God. That's what's changed. And how did he do this? Look at the end of verse 20 and the beginning of verse 22. He's reconciled us through his death by his blood on the cross. You see, the wages of sin are death. That's the punishment that sinners deserve. But Jesus Christ came down to earth and died a sinner's death, though he was perfect and sinless. The one person in all of history that did not deserve to die died for all the others who did deserve to die. And so because of that, the Colossians that Paul writes to are no longer alienated from God. This is a remarkable truth. God didn't just forgive his people, he brought them back into fellowship with them. And that's what it means to be reconciled. God's people are once again given fellowship and communion with him. Now it looks a little different than it did in the Garden of Eden. The Colossians probably didn't walk with God in the morning. Or at the very least, when they did walk with God, they couldn't quite see him. But they had the privilege to talk to God in prayer. And he listened to them. He sent his spirit to live inside them. And if he had only done that, the Colossian church would have more than enough reason to rejoice and praise him eternally. But in his love for them, he didn't stop there. Look at the end of verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What this means is that Jesus did not just reconcile the Colossians to God and restore fellowship between them. 
He did more than that. A lot more. Through his death on the cross, they are presented as, to God as holy, blameless, and above reproach. Jesus took their blame on his shoulders, and that means that in the eyes of God, the Colossian church was blameless. And once again, this isn't just true of the Colossians. Paul wrote this letter to us too. Jesus took our blame, and he reconciled us to God. He presents us as blameless before his Father. Which leaves us with the question, just what is our part in reconciliation? What do we do in response to what he has done? Look at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The only thing that Paul asks for us is to remain faithful. And this makes sense. Love is the opposite of hostility, and how can we love someone without faith? So in a sense, this is really just a call to be who you already are in Christ. Christ has removed the alienation of hostility of mind that characterized us before we knew him. Now, we are called to live without that hostility and without that alienation. Christ has given us hope, and that means we have to be vigilant and careful not to shift from that hope. Now, shifting isn't something that happens in the big moments of life. Think of it this way. The tectonic plates that make up the earth, the, the, the surface of the earth are always shifting. They slide past each other constantly, slowly, and without even so much as a sound. But over time, as one plate shifts along another, it meets some kind of a bump, a rough patch. And what happens? An earthquake comes erupting out of the shifting motion. I think that's often how things work with us too. The shifting that Paul warns us against doesn't happen in the rough moments of our lives. It happens daily, in the little things. The little doubts we entertain in moments when things don't go our way. The little frustrations we hurl at God when we think he's not being just and so much more. But as we shift further and further, some days we meet a rough spot. It may be a significant personal loss, a bad argument between friends, a serious offense from a spouse, a time of high stress at work or school, but whatever that rough patch in our lives may be, it can cause an eruption. All of a sudden, our slow shifting from the hope of the gospel resounds through our lives in an instant. This is what Paul warns us against. He tells us not to shift slowly on a daily basis from the gospel. And to be quite honest, that sounds terrifying. How can we possibly avoid it? These shifting thoughts often slip past our notice entirely. So how can we do this on our own? Well, I think that's really the beauty of the gospel. Jesus Christ has reconciled us to God. And that means we're not alone. God is with us. So how do we stay firm in the gospel? The answer lies in that relationship with God. We can talk to him in prayer. We get to worship him through our songs, our words, our actions. He gave us the gift of a church so that we can remind each other of who he is 
and how he gives us gospel hope. He speaks to us through the scriptures, and by reading and studying it, we hear from him. Most of all, he is with his people. God has given us so many things to anchor us so we don't shift from the hope of the gospel. But that doesn't mean that his people never have doubts or questions. This command isn't some kind of disguised legalism. It's not a system in which those who shift from the hope of the gospel are kicked out of fellowship with God. No, we can't earn our way to God with our good faith any more than we can with our good deeds. We have to remember that we're not the ones who present ourselves holy and blameless to God. Jesus does that. So you'll fall down sometimes. You'll shift. You'll probably even have some earthquakes now and then. But Jesus is the one who presents those who believe in him as blameless. And he will never leave his people. You see, I was right when I believed that there was nothing I could do to reach my grandparents that Christmas morning. And they knew that. That's why they came to me. It's the same with Jesus. God has always known that sinners are alienated from him. He's always known that there is nothing you can do to reach him on your own. So he came down to us. Look at verse 19 of our text, which speaks of Jesus and says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The meaning here is pretty plain. Jesus is God. Simple as that. But this meaning becomes striking when we look back at verses 21 and 22, which say, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So Jesus is God. But he was also a human, with a body of flesh just like us. This is the message of incarnation, that God came to earth in physical form. This is what Christmas is all about. He didn't just bear the likeness of a man. He didn't just look like a human being. He was a human being, fully God and yet fully man. He was born into our world. He dwelt among us. He lived a sinless life and he died for us. We couldn't reach God so God came to us. And he didn't stay dead. He rose up from the grave. He ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And he brought about reconciliation between God and those who put their faith in Christ. He did this through his bodily sacrifice as the incarnate God. And now he calls us to follow him, not to shift in the hope of the gospel, in the hope of the good news of our salvation. And he will never leave us. He will never leave those who believe in him. You see, it's true that we could never reach God on our own. So Jesus Christ came to us. So if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, there's no better time than the present. Those who trust in Jesus Christ can now rest in knowing that he is our Emmanuel, who presents us holy and blameless 
and reconciles us to God. Now, I want to encourage you to worship God for his great gift of reconciliation. In a few moments, the worship team is going to lead you in one of my favorite Christmas songs, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. When you sing this song, I want you to think about these words. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that even though we couldn't reach you, you came down to us. Thank you that because of this, we can learn about you through your word. And yet we know that it is often easier to confess the truths you have taught us than it is to live by them. We often find ourselves shifting in the little moments of life. So we ask that you would enable us to stay steadfast and firm in the hope of the gospel that you have given us. But most of all, Jesus, we thank you that you are our reconciliation with God. We thank you that you came down to earth and inhabited a body of flesh for our sake. And we thank you that in you all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We know that we can never reach God without you. And we are grateful and we praise you because you are the one who presents us holy and blameless before God. So we pray in the power of your Holy Spirit who lives with us because of your sacrificial work of reconciliation. Amen.